Hi, friends. Welcome back to Have You Met Her, a podcast about amazing women. I'm Paige, and I'm on an adventure to dig into the lives of lesser-known women in history and share some of their stories with you. For the month of May, we're talking about women who were fierce advocates for themselves and others, women who used their passion and drive to establish groups, programs, or awareness, and made positive changes in the world to serve the needs of marginalized groups. In this episode, we'll be talking about a woman who played a vital role in the drive for voting rights and civil rights for African Americans in the civil rights movement. Underappreciated by most Southern male activists, this woman was referred to as the mother of the movement by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Let's embrace her for all that she quietly contributed and honor her by remembering not just her contribution, but her name. Here's episode 12, Have You Met Septima Poinsett Clark? Septima was born in Charleston, South Carolina on May 3, 1898. Her father, Peter, was a former slave who had found work on a ship in the Charleston Harbor. Her mother, Victoria, had been born in Charleston, but then had been taken to Haiti with her siblings when she was very young. She returned after the Civil War and was working as a laundry woman. Victoria was a no-nonsense kind of mother to her eight children. She was very strict and expected complete compliance. There were different, more lenient rules for her sons than for her daughters, who she insisted grow up to be ladies. The girls could never leave the house without gloves on. They must keep their voices low and soft and would never, ever be permitted to eat on the streets. When Septima was six, her mother enrolled her at the Mary Street School for Black Students. It wasn't a school where anything was taught or learned. It was basically a hundred kids sitting on bleachers. Her mother quickly removed her from this school. Luckily, the family had a neighbor who had a small group of girls that she was teaching in her home. The Poinsett family had no money to pay the fee, but Victoria arranged with the woman for Septima to babysit for her in the mornings and the afternoons in exchange for admission into her program. In 1914, a secondary school for black students opened and Septima attended back in the traditional classroom setting. From ninth grade on, Septima attended Avery Normal Institute, which was a private academy for black students. Septima graduated with her high school diploma in 1916. There was no money for Septima to continue on to college, so she instead took a state exam to become a teacher. Finding a teaching position was a little bit challenging. Charleston did not allow black teachers in their schools. She was eventually offered a teaching position in a rural school district at the Promised Land School, which was on Johns Island. She taught there for three years until 1919. While on the island, 
She taught her students during the day and then would teach adults to read in the evenings. She had seen the need on the island to help illiterate adults learn how to read, and she developed a method to teach them quickly using everyday materials like this year's catalog. This innovative approach was successful because there was no shame put on the adults who hadn't been given the opportunity to learn to read and write when they were children. It was an atmosphere of acceptance and empowerment. Before she left her teaching position at the Promised Land School, Septima attended a meeting where various preachers spoke about the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or the NAACP. She saw the superintendent was at the meeting, and she decided to join. In 1919, she accepted a teaching position at her old school, the Avery Normal Institute. While the inequality of the white children's school and the black children's schools had always been apparent to Septima, now that she was a teacher, she noticed more inequality, specifically regarding the teacher's salaries. In an example she shared, at Avery, there were 132 students and only two teachers. She was the principal teacher and she earned $35 a week. At the white school across the street, where there were only three students, the teacher was paid $85 a week. Septima joined the local branch of the NAACP and became an active proponent for pay equalization for teachers. In a brazen act of independence and against the orders of her principal, Septima enlisted a group of her students to join her in canvassing the community to get signatures on a petition to allow black principals at Avery. In one day, they collected 10,000 signatures and in 1920, black teachers were given the right to become principals in Charleston Public Schools. While Septima was teaching back at Avery, she met a man named Neri David Clark. He was from Hickory, North Carolina, and had worked as a cook on a submarine in the Navy during World War I. They became close, and when Septima left Charleston to teach in McClellanville for a couple of years, they wrote letters to each other. Neri joined her in McClellanville in 1923, and they were married. Septima's mother, Victoria, felt like their marriage was a disgrace and brought shame to their family. She refused to celebrate or acknowledge Septima for years. The couple moved to Hickory and spent some time with Neri's family. Septima recognized right away that their families were very different. She appreciated the community feel of the Clark family's church, an African Methodist church. It opened her eyes to see that there were many ways to serve God, a viewpoint that her strict upbringing in the United Methodist Church faith hadn't shown her. In other ways, being around mountain people in Hickory was foreign and strange. Septima got homesick and the couple decided to move back to Charleston. Septima went back to teaching at the Promised Land School on Johns Island and she did this from 1926 to 1929. While there, she had her first child who tragically died. 
Septima was devastated. Her mother told her that the baby's death was punishment for Septima marrying someone from a different state. Septima became depressed and her relationship with her husband soured. At the end of 1929, Septima needed a change and so she accepted a teaching position at Booker T. Washington in Columbia, South Carolina. She would spend a total of 17 years there. She's still remembered at Booker T. Washington High School as an outstanding educator and used her time there to grow herself. She attended college classes in between her teaching commitments and she received her bachelor's degree from Benedict College in Columbia and then her master's degree from what's now called Hampton University. Through it all, Septima helped mold Booker T. Washington High School into what it became. In 1945, Septima joined Thurgood Marshall in a court case in Columbia, South Carolina, asking for equal pay for teachers, no matter their race. Their suit was sponsored by the NAACP and was ruled in their favor, a huge win for the NAACP, but also for the teachers of color. In 1974, Septima left Columbia to return to Charleston. She'd been called home to help take care of her estranged mother, who had had a stroke. Although she did help with Victoria, she was an educator through and through, and also accepted a position as a teacher in the Charleston Public Schools. She was also active in the YWCA, one of the only organizations that was interracial at the time. She also served as the membership chairperson of the Charleston NAACP. It makes me tired just thinking about all that she had going on. Things were busy, but going well for Septima. She loved being involved and was coming up on her 40th year of teaching. Instead of celebration, trouble was headed her way. In 1956, South Carolina legislation was passed that banned any city or state employees from being involved in subversive groups. Septima saw the value that the NAACP brought it to education equality, and she refused to resign her membership or her position with the NAACP. The Charleston City School Board responded by firing her from her teaching position and withdrawing her pension that she had earned after those 40 years. No school in Charleston would offer her a position, as her resistance to resigning was well known and probably admired by some, but definitely feared by the powers that be. Since she was basically unhirable in Charleston, Septima returned to a folk school, which was in Monteagle, Tennessee, where she had attended a workshop many years ago. It was called Highlander Folk School. Highlander was one of the few interracial schools in the South at the time, and they had created a wonderful community of supportive, civic-minded people. The founder of Highlander offered Septima the position of full-time director of workshops, and she eagerly accepted. At almost 60 years old, she would create a program that would be extremely important to the civil rights movement. She created the Citizenship Schools.
While Septima was working in her new position at Highlander Folk School, she remembered teaching illiterate adults to read during her time at the Promised Land School. She created a literacy course, which stated as its objective, in a compressed week's workshop, sharecroppers and other unschooled people will be turned into potential voters. You can go back to episode four of this podcast, which talks about Fannie Lou Hamer's life and what she went through to even register to vote, to understand the roadblocks that were in place to deny African-Americans their right to vote. But in a nutshell, the 15th Amendment, which was passed in 1870, stated that voting rights could not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. However, the registrar at any courthouse could add conditions to the registration process. The registrars were always white and would require a literacy test in order to accept voter applications. The literacy tests usually consisted of the applicant reading and interpreting a clerk-selected portion of the state constitution. This was such an abstract request that there was usually a number of ways that the registrar could determine that a person just hadn't done a good enough job. Septima's literacy course, which grew to be known as citizenship schools, were designed to enable African Americans in the South to learn to read and write well enough to pass the literacy test and be registered to vote. But that's not where the model ended. The students were also taught political and economic literacy with the goal of empowering black communities. Students were taught citizenship responsibilities and rights, how to do math, read a tax bill and pay property taxes, how to research political candidates, and more. These skills went well beyond just getting to vote. They explained how to use votes in a way that best benefited their own communities. Students would attend lessons two nights a week for five or six weeks, depending on the needs of the students. And instead of a graduation type ceremony, the group of students would go together and attempt to register to vote. Septima's ultimate goal for the schools were to provide self-pride, cultural pride, literacy, and a sense of one's citizenship rights. This was an important example of the empowerment strategy for developing leaders that was vital to the civil rights movement in the South. You see, Septima's plan wasn't to teach all of the classes. She wanted to find potential teachers in her classes and in the community train them in her philosophy and the program that she had created, and then let them teach. Septima said that they would look for PhD minds who had never gotten the chance to receive an education. The future teachers were taught to teach the class, how to recruit students, how to gauge people's educational levels, and then how to identify what needed to be accomplished in the community. In this way, it was a very grassroots organization and the impact could be limitless. There was another layer of brilliance to Septima's organization. Segregation actually provided camouflage for the depth of how effective these citizenship schools were. 
moderate white Southerners could not argue against teaching semi-literate African Americans to read and write. Only once enough people passed through the program and put into practice all of the skills that they'd learned were the racist Southerners able to see potential issues in empowering those whom they wished to keep meek and quiet. But it was too late. The fire had been lit and was out of control by that point. To put it into numbers and to just show you how impactful these citizenship schools could be, I want to give you some numbers. In 1958, during the first of the courses, 37 adults were able to pass the voter registration test as a result of attending sessions at the citizenship schools. Within 10 years, by 1968, almost 700,000 African Americans became registered voters thanks to Septima's vision and her dedication to the program. From 1957 to 1961, the Highlander Folk School oversaw the citizenship schools that Septima had created. At that point, the program was transferred to the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was Dr. King's organization. This change enabled the program to spread throughout the entire South, and spread it did. And the beautiful thing about this spreading was that it was a self-fulfilling program. As people graduated from the course, they would want to become teachers. So Septima was able to do other things. She wrote her first biography in 1962, which was titled Echo in My Soul. It tells her life story to that point and talks about her program at the Highlander Folk Schools. She talks about Jim Crow laws and her view of the civil rights movement. I tried really hard to get a copy of this book for my research. It wasn't available at my library, and there were a few available on Amazon, but even a used copy was going to be $2,000 with $3.99 shipping. So instead, I used other books that we'll talk about later. In acknowledgement of Septima's leadership and her experience, she became the Southern Christian Leadership Conference's Director of Education and Teaching. She was the first woman to gain a position on the SCLC Executive Board. While this position allowed her to participate in the civil rights movement, she did struggle against sexism during her time with the SCLC. While the organization was doing important things, the ministers on top were not ready to welcome women into the organization on equal footing. That was just too far afield from the gender relations that were, they were used to in the churches. In talking about this time, Septima said that women being treated unequally was one of the greatest weaknesses of the civil rights movement. Septima retired from her active work with the SCLC in 1970, but worked with many organizations later in her life, like the Tuberculosis Association and the Charleston Health Department. She was also a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority. 
1975, Septima was elected to the Charleston, South Carolina School Board as the first black woman to be elected to the same district that terminated her employment and took away her pension 20 years earlier. The following year, the governor of South Carolina publicly declared that she had been unjustly terminated in 1956 and he reinstated her pension. In 1979, Septima created her second autobiography. This time, it was a collection of oral stories about her experiences. This book is called Ready From Within. I was able to get a copy of this book and I found it compelling and inspirational, a great resource for me to help get to know Septima. Septima died on December 15, 1987. At her funeral, the president of the SCLC described the importance of her work and for her courageous and pioneering efforts in the area of citizenship, education, and interracial cooperation, she was awarded this SCLC's highest award, the Drum Major for Justice Award. Septima Clark lived by what she believed. She is quoted as saying, knowledge can empower marginalized groups in ways that formal legal equality can't. When we think of leaders in the civil rights movement, we remember the powerful images and quotes from the figures that we learned about in school. You won't find a dramatic image of Septima in the newspaper of her time. She wasn't a flashy fighter or an especially gifted orator. But when you think of the figures that come to mind in association with the civil rights movement, remember that many of them gained the confidence cultural pride and literacy by attending a class two nights a week which taught them to read, grow, and fight for what was fair. Remember Septima's legacy. Remember her contribution. Thank you so much for listening. Please visit our Instagram at Have You Met Her Podcast to see a couple pictures of Septima Clark and get a peek at the resources that I use while researching her life. Spoiler alert, but the $2,000 book isn't included. (laughs) If you are enjoying this podcast, I would ask you to please rate and review it. Giving a five-star review and sharing what you like about it in a quick review allows others who might find it interesting to discover it. Please share this podcast with your friends. If you have an idea for a future episode or a theme that you would like to explore with me, please email me at haveyoumetherpodcast at gmail.com. Remember to subscribe on whatever platform that you use so that you don't miss an episode. I'll see you next week.